Good morning, Red City. Uh, my name is Brennan Williams. I'm a member of this church, and we have a reading today from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. The Magi Visit the Messiah. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen went, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Hey everyone, good morning. Welcome to back to Resurrection City Church at, at home here. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors at Res City, and I just want to say thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, whether it's your first time or you've been with us every, every single Sunday since we've been meeting as a church here as we come up on our second anniversary, which I was just talking about with someone recently and, and is exciting to think. Um, we have so enjoyed getting to celebrate this Advent season with you. We've enjoyed those of you who are partaking in our Advent calendar, uh, our Advent devotionals that we've been putting out. And I just want to take a second here to thank all of the people who've contributed to that um, for helping out with it uh, in, in terms of writing different things. And then also I want to thank Julie, who's done all the work in putting it together. Um, maybe a lot of you didn't realize that she's been kind of really working super hard to put this together. And I just want to thank her for that because it's been a blessing to me and I've heard from many others uh, how much of a blessing it's been as well. So thank you for that, Julie. Um, I am excited to uh, continue on in that until we uh, have it culminate on Christmas uh, this year. So uh, anyway, we are going to get back into our sermon series here, Unexpected Christmas, talking about what it looks like for Christ to come to us, but for it to be uh, unexpected, for it to not be in the way that we, we might expect it to take place, and sort of highlighting those things uh, as we walk through this sermon series. Um, thank you, Brendan, for reading our passage today. What we're going to do is we're going to jump into that a little bit, and I just have a couple of observations about it for ways in which we are like finding ourselves in the story in some way as well, too, whether it's in a way that is like the wise men or in a way that is like Herod or, or in a way that is like um, uh, other people in the story. So that's our uh, goal for today's uh, sermon. Um, so here's what I want to do. I want to talk a little bit about those wise men. We're going to talk a little bit about Herod, and we're going to talk about our response as well. But before we jump in to talk about the wise men, I'd love to hear 
what is you think that the wise men in our society would be? If, if cause I think we're, we'll talk a little bit about the identity of these people, who they actually are. But if someone were reading a book 2,000 years later and it just referred to the wise men showed up, who would who is that like th- make you think of in our society today? It's kind of interesting. And it's probably a lot different than actually who these guys were in the Christmas story. So throw that in there. Who are the wise men in the society? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead and have fun with it if you have some snarky or, or funny answers. I We always enjoy those as well. Um, but for the, the, the people in this time of Jesus who showed up who would get the term wise men applied to them, it's actually what you might not think. So let me read Matthew 2, 1 to 2 here, and we'll talk a little bit about the identity of them and why they're showing up and how that is a bit of a contrast from the other main person in the story, Herod. So Matthew 2, 1 to 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? So that word Magi is actually super helpful. That's actually what the word is that is being used in the Greek there. And the kind of the wise men... Um, word that gets used, or sometimes people think of them as kings, that's actually not quite right. Um, Magi means really, it actually means like magicians or uh, diviners or astrologers, people who are kind of looking at the stars to give them wisdom about how they should act in their own day. And they could end up as like political advisors maybe, or just just people who are trying to predict the future, which is going to be useful in some societies. And really, in a sense, it's kind of like the science of the day, in, in a sense. And if you remember all the way back to our Daniel sermon series that we did last fall, fall of 2019, um, Daniel and his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they actually get put through some training to sort of help them be good public servants and work within the government of Babylon at the time. And actually, the training that they're getting, especially from what we know of uh, Babylon, of the Chaldeans, specifically this group of people who did this kind of work, they would have been getting similar training to that. So this is like a really big deal in certain parts of the world at the time. And these these guys, the, these these studiers of the stars, in their study of the stars, they've they found that there is something significant happening in the star uh, that is directly ahead of overhead of Bethlehem. And to them, it was such a significant event in their discipline of study that they needed to investigate it themselves and actually go and see this, see what was taking place here, and try to understand what earthly event could be so significant that the stars themselves are witnessing to the greatness of it. And so the, the, the reason that they come, and I think the thing that we can kind of take from this, is that the true longing of all cultures, of all disciplines, of all wisdoms has come. And it is culminating in the birth of this baby in this little backwater town in this, this kind of uh, throwaway part of the empire called Palestine. And, and the study of these people's discipline and the study really of all disciplines properly understood are going to find their fulfillment in the birth of this child. Now, I'm, I'm someone who loves history. I love to dig into history and specifically Christian history. I really enjoy learning about uh, what, what, what has happened in our family history as a church. And one of the things that I'm struck with often when I read some of the early writers in the church, um, people who are writing for them, the first three, four, five hundred years of the church, is how much they talk about the wisdom of their own time, 
which is philosophy. People like um, Plato and and Socrates and, and and Aristotle and all those people you've heard about uh, when we think about the, the the origins of philosophy. That is like the 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 big wisdom of their age. And the Christian writers and apologists of the time are always talking about how the culmination of this discipline and all others it can it can attain to some great wisdom, but properly understood in its most uh, uh, most potent version of itself is when Jesus is placed at the center of it. Does it find does it find its its greatest uh, version of of its wisdom? And I think that that's that is we're, we're seeing that here in this story as well, and we see it as well today as it plays out across all other disciplines. Um, and, and so these. Uh, these these magi, these wise men, these people are coming in wonder and amazement and awe because they find that the fulfillment of their discipline is coming um, in in the birth of this little child. So they are excited about this. They are they are they are they want to see what's going on. Why is this significant thing happening? What does it why does it matter so much? And they're willing to even to travel great distances to find it out. So they show up in the land and they figure. Let's go see the king, the, the governor, the kind of guy who oversees this territory for Rome, a guy by the name of King Herod. Let's go talk to him and let's ask him about this. He must be aware of it, right? He has to know what's going on. He has to be involved in this in some way. So we'll go to him first. We'll have him help us figure out where to go and then we'll go see it for ourselves. Well, King Herod was definitely not aware of this, and um, we see that it actually uh, bothers him a little bit. In Matthew 2, verse 3, we're told that when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem, all of Jerusalem being the, the leaders of Jerusalem, the kind of political leaders of the time who are associated with Herod, with him. Okay, he, he was disturbed by the fact that, that something significant, a new king, was coming in his land, was being born in his land. And I, I want to focus on that, on that disturbance in Herod today. I want to talk a little bit more about that and talk about the ways in which Christmas might disturb us as well. Um, so Herod, though, let's, let's talk about him first for a little bit. Herod is, he's an ambitious guy, and he's an old man at this point. He sort of worked his way up the political ladder his whole life, uh, kind of navigating chaos, surviving, getting in right with the right people to give him this uh, role as king of the Jews, king of people uh, in, in, in all of Palestine. And really, he's kind of a character like you might find in Game of Thrones, if you're a Game of Thrones fan. I think of Littlefinger when I, when I read the history of Herod. That's kind of the type of character that he is. And he'd earned the favor of these Roman leaders who'd installed him as, as king for his loyalty to them. Um, and, 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 and he's actually half Jewish. He's not actually not fully Jewish, but he is um, put in charge of this territory. And so as a guy who, who is aware that he's not fully Jewish, that the people might not see him as their legitimate king, he's always trying to gain the favor of these people that he oversees. And so a lot of the stuff that he does, a lot of the public projects that he takes, he, he does as part of his rule over his, his, his time is in things like rebuilding the temple, um, which would bring some sort of almost messianic connotations to it. It, it would have these, this sort of symbolism as the one who'd come and, and make things right again for God's people. Uh, he engaged in these sort of massive building projects around Palestine. He's, he's constantly trying to convince the Jewish people through what he's doing that he's their legit God-ordained king and they need to listen to him, they need to follow him. And so he's doing the kinds of things that maybe seem pious, that seem like the right 
you know, thing that a king who is king, rightful king of the Jews would do to try to get those approval ratings up, right? And, and that's not something new. It's not like Herod is the only one in history who's done that. We certainly see this all the time. But we know that Herod actually mostly failed in this. Um, people viewed him as a half-Jew at best. They were not his biggest fan, much of the people who lived under his, in, in, in his uh, territory. And this is a guy who constantly had domestic issues. He had 10 wives and had some of them executed at different at times. He's a pretty ruthless guy. And he is, at, at this time in particular, that Jesus is born, we know he was super preoccupied with the succession of his sons for the continuation of his rule. So the idea of another king who might be showing up that people might get behind and, and would, would threaten the, 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 the succession of his sons and kind of the establishment of his lineage for, for, for many years to come is starting to be threatened in his mind. It, it's not a comfortable thing for him to think about. And so, um, he has got to uh, do what he's always done, sort of get rid of threats to his rule. And so, like, like so many other rulers in history, in this disturbed state that he finds himself in, he does something really drastic to retain his power. And, and we, if we continue on in, the, in, in Matthew, we, we read what, what this is. He orders the killing of any baby boy under the age of two in the vicinity of Bethlehem. He actually literally goes out and, and he purges anyone who might be this king in order to maintain his rule. It's a drastic step taken by someone who's desperate to retain his authority. Now, now typically, for a king's birth, someone of Jesus' stature, you would expect parades. You'd expect these luxurious baby showers where people uh, from other nations are coming to bring these majestic gifts uh, to the child. You'd expect royal pronouncements. Uh, you'd ex- Basically, the opening of Lion King is what you'd expect. People coming from all over the place to celebrate the birth of this, uh, this special child. Um, and, and I think we're getting, we get a picture of that with the, the magi who do come and with the shepherds and the angels who celebrate Jesus' birth on the actual night of his birth. Right? We're getting a picture of that, but God is bringing the wrong type of people to celebrate it maybe. And we even get this today. We, we, we treat births today with lots of fanfare, with gender reveals, with meal trains we set up, with baby showers, with announcing it on social media, right? We celebrate the birth of new children as they come. The leader of the nation that Jesus came to be king of, however, did not welcome him. And instead, he made them political refugees, Right? This king who had come, who's supposed to be the king of all of Israel, and, and because of that, the king of all the world, has to be treated like a refugee. And just as a, as a side note, like how does that change how we view refugees today in, in our time? Like how much would, would that add to our understanding of how to treat refugees well when we think about the fact that God himself was a refugee for a time? It's kind of a mind-blowing thought. Let that sink in. But he's forced to leave uh, the kingdom he came to save as a threat. That is what's going on here in this, in this um, part, of, part of the birth story. And so, so we meet this guy, Herod, and, and Herod is a man who's so consumed by the future in protecting it, in his fear of what might come to pass, that he is bending over backwards to try to control it with all of the resources he has, with, with, with total ruthlessness in, in trying to secure for himself this future that he wants to have. 
Now, we're aware of a lot of Herods today. I think we actually maybe have a little bit of a fascination with them. Uh, we kind of have a love-hate relationship with them, at least in terms of our media. Because I can think of a lot of examples in TV shows and movies where you see people like that. Um, I mentioned Game of Thrones earlier. That's about a show uh, that is a, a ton of people, filled with a ton of people who are like Herod, all trying to do the same types of stuff as Herod. Uh, the show House of Cards. I know a lot of people were really fascinated with that show when it was on a few years ago. That is a singularly Herod-like uh, TV show where the central character is basically just another Herod. Um, I even, you know, I've been really into The Mandalorian recently. I know a lot of other people have been too. Moff Gideon seems like that type of character to me. Or really, in in the Star Wars lore, the OG Herod, uh, Emperor Palpatine, this is him to a T, right? Someone who is constantly trying to control the future to maintain his power. Um, and, and I think there, when we look at our real world, even today, we see plenty of Herods stomping around today. People who are ambitious, who have dreams, who want to maintain their power. And that sort of trumps everything else for them is maintaining that kind of securing that always thinking to the future and thinking of it in terms of opportunities or threats to, to engage in, in their ideal future. Now, the irony of all this is, is that Herod might be king. He might, he, he, he might think he's king and he has total control. Uh, that he's a slave to no one. But in reality, this is a guy who is completely controlled by fear, completely uh, compelled by this slavery to do radical things to ensure it. And this really starts to come when we start to really look at what, what takes place and what he's willing to do and how much he is concerned with controlling his future. We see that it starts to come from this dark place in his heart, the sinful place in his heart. And while we should lament the fact that there are so many Herods in the world, and there have been throughout all of history, his example isn't just an extraordinary action of one deranged guy, but I think we need to recognize that it's a disease that's common to all humans, whether it's a king or it's a president or anybody else. Uh, and it's a reminder that it's not just Herod who has this in him, but it's all of us. Tim Keller, reflecting on this, uh, says this, at the core of the human heart is an impulse that says, no one tells me what to do. Culture and training can go a long way toward teaching us to hide that instinct, and we naturally, we want to remove it, but no amount of education or therapy can remove it. We do not want to serve God or our neighbor. We want them to serve us. In every heart, there is a little Herod that wants to rule and is threatened by anything that may compromise its omniscience and its sovereignty. It's this desire in us that wants to glory in itself, that wants to put itself first, that wants to ensure that its future is secure. And like gravity, even though we might try to fight it, we all kind of tend towards this. We're all leaning towards this impulse inside of our hearts, even if we might recognize its destructive consequences in ourselves or in others. And it's just something we have to be aware of. And and, and th th this... This Christian belief that's common in all history is something that is, is common to all of us. And we recognize this as Christians, this thing inside of us that infects us. And so that's our first observation today. Um, with the revelation of a king, King Jesus, we have to reckon with the fact that we might look more like Herod than we care to admit sometimes. Um, th this part of our hearts that is responsible for so much conflict in the world, so much suffering in the world, is this love of self and this sort of, sort of almost like sovereign grip that we can tend to have over maintaining our desires, maintaining our own little kingdoms that we try to create. Now, I'm not saying that 
Like we go out and do the same type of stuff as Herod, all right? Herod is obviously, he's taken that to an extreme that most people don't get to, all right? I'm just saying though that we have that impulse to want to control things in our lives and that we can view a king who has come who claims sovereignty over us as well, over all the world, we can view that as a threat to us. Now, when we're talking about this, we're talking about the future. So much of it is this sort of looking to forward to the future and, and what is going to come in the future, trying to, trying to secure the ideal future for ourselves. Now, in this time of Advent, we also find ourselves looking at the future. That's what Advent is about. It's about God's coming, and we await the coming of him when he comes as king. So when we talk about that, we're talking about God's plan for the future. His, his eschatology is the word we might use in a theological sense to describe this. Well, that just means his design, his plan, his goal, his purpose, his fulfillment. Now, the Magi, Mary, Joseph, and many other people in Israel, they're awaiting. They're, they're looking forward to the future because they're awaiting a deliverer. But with, with this news, Herod can't look forward to the hope of a deliverer. All he can look forward to is a threat to his reign. And so he's not going to wait. He can't wait. He can't wait for that to come. He needs to act to sort of secure his future because he only trusts himself with that future. This is a man who is very concerned with the future, but not God's future. He's concerned with his own future. And he's so focused on this future that he can't realize that he's trapped himself in a, in, in a world that is a constant state of anxiety, of despair, of paralysis, of fear, of shame, that the things that he hopes for won't come to pass, that he won't be able to achieve it, and that he can't maintain what he already has. Now, it's easy for us to, f- to slip into that, w- to, to become like Herod when we're looking towards the future. Because we're also all thinking about the future constantly. We, we talk a lot at Res City about how we, are, we, we don't like to slow down and, and celebrate or look back or reflect on things because we're all very future focused. I think it's just a societal thing that we're always trying to look forward to what's coming up. That's, that's where our brains tend to live. And when we live in that space so much and we think about what's coming and, and, and whatever sort of part of our life uh, might be affected by the future, whether it's our money, we're asking questions, how do I spend it well? How do I make sure I have enough money to live comfortably in the future? Whether it's our health, different uh, health diagnoses, uh, diagnoses we might receive or, or trying to make sure that we do stay healthy, thinking about how I'm, you know, the life choices I'm making now going to impact me when I live to be 70 or 80, God willing that I get to that point. Um, in, in our jobs, we're always trying to think about how do we get to the, the dream job that we've been waiting for. That's something we, we, that's a place that we live a lot of times. In our spouses, if we don't have a spouse, I, I can speak from a place in my own life. When I wasn't married, I was constantly thinking about trying to get to that point. A, a lot of my attention was, was thinking about where will I be when I'm married? How do I make sure I get married? How do I make sure I find this happiness someday? Maybe it's just generally in the state of the world. We look at the world right now and the future is super uncertain in a lot of areas and we can sort of feel the need to try to want to control that. And, and a king comes along, a king named Jesus comes along who, who makes a claim to be the sovereign Lord of, of everything, including the future. And we can maybe, if we're, if, we're, if we're not careful, if we're not thoughtful about our desires, we can maybe start to see that as a threat. We might start to wonder if we can trust this king with our futures. We might start to think we can only trust ourselves and I have to sort of try to protect this. 
Now, maybe that, you know, I think that describes a lot of people today and maybe it, maybe you're, you're hearing this and you're thinking, man, this kind of describes how I feel a little bit about the future. I can speak for myself. It describes me. And there are especially major times in my life. I just mentioned one where I have looked back at it and I realized I was trying to be a little king, a little king controlling my own future. Um, I, I had a roadmap for my life all planned out at a certain point. I had sort of charted a path. I, I, I thought I had a secure future. And like a king, I had my own con- sort of conquest narrative. I was going to be Con- uh, conquering my own unhappiness, um, co- taking charge with this plan I had and making sure it happened, um, taking my own unfulfillment and, and taking a hold of it, making sure that I, I, I could look forward to my future and be happy with it because it was according to my plan and I had it all planned out. I had this sort of sunny disposition of a future destination um, that really only existed in my head, a kind of idealized future, but I was working so hard to attain and grasp that. Um, and I would tell myself, I'd found parts of this story and I would, I would give it to God, but really like at at the end of the day, I was the king. I was the one that was in charge of my own destiny. I can tell you in that moment, uh, in this time, uh, some of it in high school, some of it in college, the thought of ministry was not anywhere on my radar. I did not think about ministry at all. I did not think about giving my life to God in such a concrete way. I thought I would give him the parts of my life that I would choose to give him, and I remained in charge uh, in that scenario. Um, but eventually, Jesus showed up and, and, and he said to me, hey, I want you to really follow me, okay? I don't want you to just choose the little parts of your life you're going to give me. I want you to actually follow me for real. And in that moment, suddenly, all these plans that I put together and, and what was actually going on around me, it started to look pretty lame. I kind of surveyed that I wasn't actually happy. I was actually pretty depressed. And I looked at how much happiness I'd actually gained for myself. And I realized I wasn't actually doing a very good job of controlling my life, of being a king of my own life, of, of grasping a hold to this idealized future that I had. And, and maybe, so maybe my story is like yours. If, if you've tried to do this long enough, then maybe like me, you've seen that the kingdoms that you've built for yourself, the things you've tried to build around yourself to attain for yourself security and comfort and happiness, you watch those things wash away like little sandcastles at the beach when the tide comes in. And, and maybe that leads you to feel some shame when you realize that you're not omniscient, you're not able to control the future. Uh, you can't predict things like pandemics or health issues that arise or job loss or other major Im- things that impact and change your plans. Things don't go the way that we expect more often than not. We're, we're not perfect. We fail. We mess up constantly. We are not very good at securing these things for ourselves. Or maybe now you're still trying to achieve or maintain a kingdom that you've built. But as you really look around, you feel like I'm not actually filled with happiness or joy or fulfillment, but I actually feel more anxiety or or, or despair as I try to control all this. Or maybe I feel shame because I look back and realize I've not always done a good job at at, at, um, building this or maintaining it for myself. Okay, but like Herod, you, you feel like you can't quite let go because deep down, you just don't trust anyone else with the future, including God, including Jesus himself. But, but in this time of waiting, in Advent, as we await a king, we got to recognize that it's not a threat to us. It's not a threat to our dreams, our happiness, or our future. And we got to realize that that's a lie that Herod believed that we can fall into believing ourselves. Okay, and, and, and so when we look at the Advent story, 
even when we're concerned about our future, we're not sure what's going to happen. And we want to make sure, we want to feel security about our future. Advent is a time for joy and hope. And this is our, our second observation today. The reason we can feel that joy and hope is because Jesus came for people like Herod too. Jesus didn't come to threaten people like Herod. He came to save people like Herod. He came to comfort people like Herod. Now make no mistake, Jesus is the true king, right? Herod isn't and you aren't. But instead of responding with this sort of fear of that, the, the revelation of a different kind of king, specifically the type of king that we have been talking about over the sermon series, and, and, and which is shown in his specific coming, his unexpected coming, that's something that is a good for us, a comfort for us. We, we've highlighted how he's a different type of king, right? He was born in a manger, not in a palace. He was a refugee from the nation he came to save. He was born with the right resume, like we talked about a few weeks ago, um, but it really didn't make sense in, in how he came. And he came from a line that f- was filled with all sorts of the wrong kinds of people that are being that were highlighted in that. And I remember in the community group going through that, just how awesome it was to see the ways in which this king came from a place you wouldn't expect, but came from a line of people who uh, who, who, who would long for a type of king like that, the, the wrong kind of people, but the type of people that we ourselves, when we look deep down, we are like them too. And so while living under Herod is tough and being Herod is tough, when we look and we can see that Jesus isn't Herod, we can find hope in that. We can find that he's calling us to live in a different kind of kingdom than Herod's or the ones we might build ourselves. And I think one of the the best ways to remind ourselves of this, and I want to talk about this as we close the sermon today, is just looking at the music that we sing around Christmas time. I know Christmas music is itself one of the one of the great features of the Christmas season is listening to this music that that accompanies this time of year. And uh, the, the reason that a lot of this Christmas music is so great is because it's so rich in sort of telling us the alternate story of this king come and why that's so great. It highlights the uniqueness of the coming of Jesus. It highlights, if you think about it, some of the absurdity of it too. So a couple of examples. First one quickly here, Silent Night. This one that we sing every year that is just has kind of an eerie sort of calm to it. Um, when you really think about what's going on in that song, it's juxtaposing the darkness and the stillness of the night, which has no fanfare, no royal processions, with this radiance and light that comes from the king himself. Okay, he doesn't need any introduction from anyone like Herod. He doesn't need any other kings to come and to sort of um, validate his rule. He gives his own validation just by himself. And we can see that really clearly in the stillness of the night. He doesn't, he doesn't need any light because he himself is the light. Or, or, or let's talk about Joy to the World. This song we, we sung earlier uh, in, the, in the service today. Joy to the, let me, let's just talk about some of the lyrics of this song. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Earth itself, not just people, creation itself is longing for this king to come. And when he does, let heaven and nature sing, is what the song says later on. Creation is groaning for this king and for his future because it knows that his future is the best future for itself. It is satisfied by him 
and it and it knows when he reigns that humanity will be remade and creation itself will feel the impacts of that remaking of the peace that comes from that king coming and so in his call to humanity we see that in the lyric let every heart prepare him room okay his rule is not tied to land but it is tied to belief to allegiance to repentance to, to us preparing our hearts so that he can reign in our hearts. And as he reigns in the hearts of humans, the world itself is reconciled back to him. Now, what does it mean for us to prepare, prepare our room for him in our hearts? It means for us to give our life to him, to give our future to him, to give our control to him, acknowledging that he is the true king and that he tells us what, what we must do with our lives. But he doesn't just keep our life for himself. He doesn't just take that and then use it to prop himself up or to make his reign greater, but he gives life back to us. He gives our lives back to us better than how he received it from us. He gives it to us redeemed. He gives it to us cleansed. He gives it to us full of possibilities and virtues and loves and and, and relationships that are a part of this new kingdom, that are a part of a kingdom filled with hope, a kingdom filled with redemption and peace. And so, while the fruits of the kingdom that we might hand over to him when we give our futures to him are filled with despair, anxiety, shame, and ultimately death itself, the fruits that he gives us back are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all these things that we celebrate around the time of Christmas, all these things that we celebrate as making up Christmas cheer, Christmas spirit, are things that we are given to Christ the King when we hand our lives over to him and he gives it back to us. These are things we can only find in him. Just like the Magi coming to him and finding the, the, the truth of the thing that they celebrate and they, they follow and they, they study comes only in Jesus himself. We can only find the things we celebrate at Christmas and the things that we hope for in life by giving our lives over to him and getting it back from him in redemption. We will live more satisfied and more virtuous futures by giving our lives to him, not in keeping it from him. And so the future of the world is totally secure in the coming of the true king, the one who, in whom all wisdom finds its fulfillment. It is secure and we don't have to fear it because he rules. And he rules the world, as Joy of the World continues on in saying, with truth and grace. His coming is bad news for people like Herod, people who want to re- retain for themselves their own kingdoms which harm and create um, evil in, in, the, in so much of the world. Okay? But he is not harsh with us like Herod, nor like we can be with ourselves when we fail. He doesn't turn us into refugees and turn us away, but he welcomes us in no matter who we may be. And he makes the nations themselves prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. The nations themselves, all of them, no matter, there, there are no borders to his kingdom. It transcends language. It trans- transcends race. It transcends all of these other things. We, we, we find uh, the nations prove the glory of his righteousness, his justice, and it is shown as he rules with truth and grace that welcomes us in and comforts us and calls us to peace and to hope and to life. And this is what we await this Advent as we prepare for Christmas to come upon us here in a few days. This is what we're waiting for, this future being secured for us. 
And so I hope that we can we can give our futures over to him uh, th- this Christmas season, especially as we live in the midst of a, a very uncertain future right now. That's our prayer for you today. Let, let me pray to close us and we'll enter into a time of communion. Lord, we thank you that um, joy has come into the world because you have come into it. I pray that, that, that all of earth, including our hearts, would receive her king this Christmas season, that we would find hope, uh, Lord, in, in, in the stillness of the silent night, that we would not have to give any sort of extra fanfare to your coming, Lord, but we would recognize that you bring all the fanfare you need through your own glory and your radiance in your life for us. Help us to find comfort in that, Lord. Help us to, to, to find comfort in, in awaiting your coming, Lord. We pray that in in Jesus' name. Amen.